Stress has become a part of most of our lives every day as the current novel coronavirus. Oh my gosh. As if there couldn't be like enough background noise. Hi everyone, I'm Josh McCormick, and this is Salute Talks. Stress has become a part of most of our lives every day as the current novel coronavirus continues to spread throughout the U.S. and the world. Still, feelings of anxiety can lead to other health complications, according to Kathy Samayoa, an adjunct assistant professor at San Francisco State University's Health Equity Research Lab. She and Dr. Daniel C. Hughes with the Institute for Health Promotion Research join Salute Talks to discuss their research into the connections between stress and cancer development, as well as how it impacts some groups more than others. Why don't we um, start by getting a little bit of background um, into both of your areas of research and kind of like what got you to where you are today before you got in academia. Uh, and, and Kathy, you can go ahead and start. Yeah. So um, I'm the daughter of uh, Mexican and Guatemalan immigrants, uh, the first in my family to go to college. Um, so my pursuit of academia has really been fueled by my own experiences with social inequities and health disparities um, that my, either myself or my family experienced. Um, and I really wanted to fix the problem, right? So um, no one in my family had gone to college. I don't know what that was like. So I uh, attended community college, uh, was really intrigued by biology, everything at the molecular level. I remember playing, being really young and like playing with lotions. It's like, this has hyaluronic acid or, you know, things like that. Um, and just always thinking about cooking at the molecular level, like cooking with the pressure cooker, what's going on, why is it faster, what is the physics of that? Um, and I feel like I found the questions that I wanted to ask, and I feel like academia gave me the tools to answer those questions and address the questions. So, yeah, I attended community college. I've been part of a lot of pipeline programs that aim to increase diversity in the biomedical workforce. So I think it's really important to have the community also represented as the researchers, as PIs, as the people that are asking the questions and doing the work. So I've been a, a product of that, a product also of amazing mentors who have, especially for being the first in your family to do anything, having someone who has done it before and who can identify with the struggles is really important. So um, I've, I had really good mentors, and so I went to community college and then transferred to San Francisco State University, still focusing really on biology. I wanted to really have that foundation of biology, um, and then I went and got a PhD in cancer biology, and then now as an adjunct assistant professor, I get to ask questions that are more transdisciplinary and use transdisciplinary methods, um, but still that foundation of biology really is what drives the questions that I ask. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Dr. Hughes? That's going to be a real hard act to follow. <laughs> Originally from Mexico City, first generation Mexican-American, uh, came to the U.S., didn't know any English, and uh, my aunt and uncle brought me in and come from a large Latino family, poor family. But nonetheless, I went to school, UT, graduated with a BA in biology. 
Uh, partied a little bit too much in college, didn't get into medical school, so I went and started working as a chemical engineer. Got a correspondence school degree and worked as a chemical engineer for 23 years, had a midlife crisis, and decided to need to do something a little more meaningful. And I tried to piece together things that I saw in Mexico with my aunts, uh, getting some of them got breast cancer, the stress that they were in as, as, as a poor family, and also the stress that I saw a lot of my coworkers suffer from. Mm. So when I went back to school, I kind of pieced it together in my dissertation. It was on exercise and stress in Hispanic breast cancer virus. And I collected salivary cortisol, and I was just fascinated with the stress response and how it affected not only quality of life, but I've had a sense that it affected the biology as well, though I hadn't quite been able to make that link. Fortunate for me, after I got my Ph.D., I got a postdoctoral fellowship at MD Anderson with Dr. Karen Bass and Inquist, worked in behavioral science, endometrial cancer, and then uh, fortunate enough to meet Dr. Ramirez, who talked me into coming here to continue working with Latina breast cancer survivors on the border and has been really the focus of my research is interventions, exercise interventions mostly to reduce stress and improve quality of life and mostly female survivors to this point. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so I, th- I think it'd be a great opportunity to have both of you talk a little bit about um, your research, um, specifically Kathy. Um, I'd love to hear more about the work you've been doing um, in, in stress and its connection to um, cancer and breast cancer development. Yeah, so uh, the work that I've been involved um, in has been in really true collaboration with academic institutions, uh, community organizations, um, and we really feel like that's essential in order to make significant discoveries and differences. So um, I actually partnered up with Dr. Ananopoulos, who at the time was at UCSF. Um, and she has just been doing amazing work with interventions, which, you know, are, she calls it um, trans, the transcreation model, um, which is not just adapting an intervention, is really, you know, making it very specific for the population. So she was going to test this intervention in a rural community, um, and she has been interested in also looking at the biomarkers, right? So the intervention, the question is, can this intervention improve um, depression and anxiety in Latina breast cancer survivors? And she was really interested in looking at the biology of that, the biomarkers around that. Um, and it was perfect timing. I was about to graduate doing and starting a postdoc. So my work was um, around these biomarkers, right? At baseline, what do they look like, right? So when we recruit these women, what do their stress levels look like biologically? Um, and then, so we collected samples. Then we developed methods to collect the samples. So if you look into the literature, a, a lot of studies who don't have you know, either black women or Latinas will say uh, it's a hard-to-reach population, they don't want to participate, um, it's more expensive, they list all the challenges. So the first challenge for us was, can we actually get them to participate? So um, I created YouTube videos showing them how to collect their samples. Um, I remember my mom sometimes not doing something, like if her doctor asked her for some tests, because she was afraid that she was going to do it wrong. So it wasn't even about her not wanting to do it, right? It was, I'm going to do it wrong. So there was some self-efficacy around that. So um, I featured my mom who 
it's like a middle-aged Latina woman who is the population that we were targeting. I created a YouTube video with her of her collecting all the samples and going through like the motions of everything so that the women really felt empowered. Like, this lady can do it. I can do it, right? Versus the speaker just, one of the speakers was just talking about how sometimes the materials have like a 22-year-old blonde woman who doesn't look like the populations that, that we are targeting. So... Yeah, and then I also created um, materials like written and pictograms. So I always tell people, you know, when if if you had asthma or something like that, you open up the little package and it looks like a poster with font four on there and all the things that can happen. When we collect DNA, we have sort sort of the same type of materials. Like this is how you collect DNA, and you like unfold it twenty five times, and it's this thing. So I adapted all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also used my mom in the photos there. Uh, so the first task was getting the bio samples, and we were really successful in doing that. Um, and then the next task was looking at these biomarkers, both when we recruit them and then after the intervention, and looking at what are their cortisol levels look like, how, uh, what are the patterns of cortisol secretion? Those are all important um, in looking at stress. And then we also are looking at other things like telomere length, which is um, little caps on the ends of people's chromosomes. They uh, maintain integrity of our DNA, um, but also have been shown to shorten with chronic stress. And that's really important because if we have short telomeres, then the integrity of our DNA is compromised. And that's very important in just overall health. Again, a very tough act to follow. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. And I'm just fascinated by what the things that you're saying. And I love the idea of the YouTube. Because one of the things that I ran into, especially in the Valley, was with the last name Hughes, people didn't know that I was first-generation Mexican-American. But once they knew I was, and I spoke Spanish, and I lived in Matamoros for a while, you know, things changed. But the things that you're talking about, a YouTube is excellent and I'm going to steal from that and use that in my next intervention. And i got to say something about the court. One of the things that I've discovered with, I've put, brought about, I would say over 400 women into my lab, and every one of them, hand to God, has told me that six months, two years before they got cancer, something major happened in their life that was major stress, a loss of a spouse, a loss of a child, divorce, and so that's one of the reasons why I still make the argument that not only stress promotes cancer, but it may even initiate it. Mm-hmm. And the telomere length is something that I think is where a direction we need to study more. So for for listeners who are tuning in and they have no idea even how DNA works, could you break down the topics that you're discussing to a very layman level of, you know, so stress is not just a feeling that you have, but it's actually a, a chemical that runs through your body and can impact. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I can start. So um, when we're stressed out, right, like if you are doing a podcast for the first time <laughs> or you are waiting for the bus and you are late to work and your baby just spit up on your shirt and you have to have a meeting or something, right? Your body will react to the experiences that you are feeling, right? Sometimes they're real feelings, right? Like you're about to get run over, so you need to really jump and, and run. Our body responds in a way to save our lives, right? Sometimes you're like, I don't even know how I jumped out of 
the way of the bus or you know hundreds of years ago how that you know I escaped this bear when I was hunting and things like that so cortisol is not bad cortisol is really good cortisol helps us deal with stressful situations get out of dangerous situations um but sometimes our mind can almost play a trick on us so it's not a real danger but it can be a perceived danger so if you anticipate something happening right like you your boss says hey right before you leave on friday night i need to talk to you first thing monday morning the whole weekend you're like what does my boss need to talk about am i being fired what's gonna happen how am i gonna pay my rent you don't even know what the boss is gonna talk about your brain might be playing tricks on you um so these are anticipated threats and uh perceived stress um that we feel and in populations like the latina populations um we also have racism and discrimination, language barriers, right? I don't speak the language. I need to go return this at Target. The person doesn't speak Spanish. How am I going to tell them? They're looking for an ID to return because I don't have a receipt, right? These are everyday things that, that people experience. So our body will react. And we feel this, right? We feel like our palms get sweaty. Our heart is beating really fast. We feel like we're running out of breath. Uh, we can't concentrate. So it's not just the experiences that your mind, um, you know, kind of perceives. Is your mind will then interact with your body um, through hormones. So these are like things that, you know, rush out of your body and you get sweating, your temperature changes. Um, and, and one of the hormones is cortisol. So it's a really interesting hormone. And I was talking about it's, it's a good hormone, but if it's always on or gets triggered too much, it can also be really bad. So we call that chronic stress, right? Always being stressed all the time. Um, and we know from studies in people that cortisol um, and, and stress you know, has can play certain roles, but we also know uh, through biology the very specific things that cortisol does, right? So we know that uh, cortisol can make your immune system not work the way it's supposed to work. So for like students who are in school, usually after they take a big exam or finals, like two weeks later, they'll get sick. We see a lot of people, a lot of students doing this. Um, and it's usually because there was so much cortisol in their body that their immune system was not working right and then they got sick um and dr hughes was talking about people who sometimes have a very like stressful event in their life and then sometimes present you know with some health problems afterwards so um yeah so cortisol is both good and bad um it affects the body in you know in the heart your blood pressure all of these different things and if we zoom in more and more and more we know that it affects other molecules it affects our DNA uh, in in both good and, and bad ways um, and in science we know that you know the poison or the toxin is it's always about the dose right so it's in small doses maybe it can be good but in large doses or you know continuous doses it can be bad we'll be right back hi this is Rosalie Aguilar, Project Coordinator of Salud America. As an organization, our mission is to help create a culture of health equity for Latinos. We work toward this goal through countless hours of research, writing, editing, and producing. If you believe in what we're doing and want to support that work, please consider donating to our cause at 
saluth.to backslash donate. Thank you. Hi, this is Rebecca Jones, Assistant Director of the Institute for Health Promotion Research. Our organization serves as the research powerhouse that fuels Salute America's content. Here at the IHPR, we investigate the current state of health inequities in America and how that impacts the Latino community. Our research investigates cancer, chronic disease, and other health disparities among Latinos in South Texas and beyond. To learn more about the IHPR and our work, visit salud.to backslash IHPR. Thanks. Right. Um, Dr. Hughes, I was wondering if you could share an example from the research that you're conducting, maybe of one of those patients who had a traumatic life experience, and just provide um, kind of a little more of a, an illustration, a story that listeners can connect to about that life event and what that did into their health. Sure. <clears throat> I, I can point back to um, one, of the, one of the, when I give presentations, I always include one particular participant from my dissertation, number 926. Special story behind her, she's a young woman, aggressive breast cancer. And uh, to pick up on, on, on what was just said, there is a difference between acute and chronic stress. There's also what we call the lifelong perspective. So what happens to you as a child, what happens to you as a young adult, what happens to you as an adult, et cetera, you have really the accumulation. We, God was a great engineer. He designed us for acute situations where we had to fight or flight. So the things that you talk about, you know, this flood of things, epinephrine, cortisol, heartbeat, shunning the blood from the major organs to the muscles, thickening of the blood so you don't bleed to death, being able to see long distance, all evolutionary to survive. The problem becomes when you have that happening all the time, then it's going to damage the body. So in this particular case, number 926, a young woman lost a leg. Then she got pregnant. Then she got diagnosed with breast cancer. So she lost a leg, had problems with her first husband, and then in about six months, nine months, found out she had breast cancer while she was pregnant. Poor woman in the poor neighborhood of Houston, no money. So her stress level, when we, <laughs> when we started the study, her perceived stress was like four standard deviation, very high compared to other women her age. And her cortisol had what's called a blunted response. So what happens is you wake up in the morning, cortisol is high because you've got energy, and then if you're normal, you have a very steep slope and it drops off at night. You chill out, you go to sleep, and it's a diurnal, you know, daily pattern. Uh, studies have shown the women that have blended responses tend to die younger, and you know, especially cancer survivors have recurrence and therefore more predictive of death. So in her case, that was an example of what her life was. Now we, fortunately for us, or however it might have worked. Why I use her as an example is she gave her, us permission to use her story. And uh, in fact, we had a 10-week intervention, and within five weeks she had lost a lot of weight. Her relationship with her significant other had improved. We gave her a very individualized workout program she could do at home, so she didn't have to worry about the dogs that were in the neighborhood or the crime. And her quality of life improved immensely. Uh, I tried to follow up and see how she's doing, but I can't find her. But anyway, just the points to be made are you have the chronic stress versus acute stress, and you also have the accumulation of lifelong experiences. So populations that are subject to discrimination, racism, poor zip codes, et cetera, 
will tend to have worse outcomes because of the chronic stress and the flooding of the stress hormones that are in there. What can we do about it? Stress is not going to go away, but we can work to ways to do, manage the stress. Meditation, exercise, connectedness, those type of things. Kind of a, a connection I'm picking up on, and um, roll with me here, it's kind of an out there question, but um, I, I, I was interested to hear um, about from an early age, it seems both of you had this connection to figuring out how things work at the, at the small level. Um, and really, and this is an opinion, but my opinion is stress comes from all of the little granular things in life that tend to stack up over time. Um, and so maybe could you all talk a little bit about that and about the role of stress and how maybe from your personal lives or the experiences that you've had that in using that idea of management is that really being healthy is tackling those things every little day, kind of like taking more of a proactive approach to like mental wellness. Can I go, can I go first? Yeah. Okay. No, I mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. But I have an example when I was a Dow chemical, for example, very stressful environment. And I had a coworker who, uh, we came in almost the same day. So we kind of kept up with each other and the dude was stressed. And the thing is about managing stress. And when you got stressed, it, like she was saying, if you don't think you have the resources to manage your situation, your mind will play that trick and you have the reaction and the cascade of events. My man was that way. You know, he had rashes on his hand and this, got lung cancer. And, uh, you know, very hard worker. When he had cancer, he got his lung taken out. He was back at work. I said, fool, why, why are you back at work? Go back and chill. Oh, no, I got all these projects to do this that, and the other. About two years later, he was dead. And I have no doubt in my mind that it was the stress that killed him. So I remember, quite frankly, one of the reasons why I decided midlife crisis to switch careers is I was at his funeral, and his sons were friends with my son. And when they're rolling down the casket as they walked right by me, I said, you know, this really didn't have to happen. And it shouldn't have happened if we had found a way for this guy to just be able to manage the stress. There's no doubt about it. So that, anyway, that was my story. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. So I think that I think about stress in two ways. It's it's what's happening around us, but also how we respond to it, right? So sometimes it's difficult because we can't control what's happening around us, right? Like you can't, sometimes you can't control your zip code or you can't control that you have to go back to work or you can't control that people are racist. Um, but what you can control, and that's what gives me hope, is how you cope with these things, how you respond to these experiences, right? Um, I have people in my life, uh, you were pointing out an example, who, um, you know, if they drop their coffee, their day is over. Like, mm -hmm. their life, you know, just ended or something. Um, and we call that, like, people that are very stress-reactive. So in my mind, I think about, you know, their cortisol's boop, 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 you know, like, just up and down, up and down, and their, and their blood pressure and their heartbeat uh, is like that. Um, I take my you know what I see around people and I'm like I don't want to be that way right and I also know it's not good for me to be that way um and what's promising is in the we read papers you know people are doing research and there's now so many interventions that have been shown to help people cope with stress so uh Ananapolis is doing a cognitive stress uh cognitive based stress management intervention um, and what's cool now is that a lot of these interventions who were that are originally designed usually for white populations are now being adapted 
for populations of color. So like for Latinas and things like that. So um, my friends who go to therapy who are Latinas, sometimes they'll say, um, you know, my therapist said I need to talk to my dad about this. It's like, but the therapist does not understand that I cannot talk to my dad. He's not going to budge, right? So a more appropriate way would be like, well, maybe you let that go in a different way, right? So um, I, you know, have done my own work around being mindful, being grateful, right? So old me would maybe be like, I have an exam coming and I have to do this and I have to do that. Why does this happen to me? Why is life so hard? Um, I think new me is more like, this is a great opportunity. I'm very happy that I have this opportunity. My parents didn't have this opportunity. Um, Let me be excited about this. So it's really changing my mindset, really being mindful and letting go of the things that I can't control. Um, And that's informed by the research that I do, the research that I read, the people that are around me. um, And really it's what drives my passion for the work that I do because I would be really frustrated to look at this research and say, yeah, my goal is to look at stress. But if I can't do anything about it or we don't have anything to offer them, to me, that's pointless. There's no actionable, there's nothing that's going to come out of this, right? The cool thing is we can look at the stress and we know that there's ways to mitigate that, either personal ways, right? So like manage your stress better, cope with it better, here are the tools, or more global ways, right? Like what kind of intervention can we give people so that there's not a lot of neighborhood noise or crime or, you know, ultimately, how do we eliminate racism and discrimination so that people don't have to face this? So I, th- I think there's promise in that. Now, you know, why I wanted to crash the party and hang out with this yeah. young lady, man. I'll tell you, I don't take this the wrong way, but I love you. I really do. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, just Wonderful. awesome. It gives me hope as an old Mexican to see people like this coming, taking over. That's awesome. Couldn't agree more. That's wonderful. Yeah, and that's what we want to do is promote promote those voices. Um, one um, question that I have in the vein of kind of what you're just talking about is it's very apparent that people of color over time since the creation of this country have faced significant stressors throughout their lives. What are ways that a listener who maybe can't help in the medical side of things, but they want to advocate for better representation in some of the studies that you're talking about, right? Because cognitive behavioral therapy, a lot of it's based on, you know, white folks like me. So how can they advocate for better representation in these kind of studies and make sure that their voices are heard in this research? Well, uh, what I'd like to speak to that, there's two ways to respond to something, you know, positive or negative. Unfortunately for us, a lot of Latinos, we tend to respond negatively. There's maladaptive behaviors and, you know, adaptive behaviors. Some of the maladaptive behaviors drop out of school, get into gangs. I'm I'm speaking graphically here. Uh, You know, ignore the system. You know, sequester yourself. Uh, One of the things that I'm concerned about, frankly, uh, is that we have to, uh, at long term, to, you know, resolve some of these issues, we have to have the adaptive behaviors. And where are some of those? Uh, Get involved. Uh, don't drop out of school, get an education, be the first in your family to get a degree, have an impact for the community, but also work at the local level. Don't wait for the government to solve your problems. It's not going to happen. Also, you may not want to do it. Also, you may not want to do it, but we need to assimilate 
with the with with the people in the country that we're in. Uh, we don't need to just have our own clusters, which is what we like to do, but we have to get out. We're the ones that have to take the action. Um, so I guess my comment on that is um, there's always something that someone can do, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I would start by saying that everyone should check their privilege, right? Are you a citizen or can you vote? Or because you know, you're know you a white male, is everyone gonna listen to you and think that everything that's coming out of your mouth is a fact, right? Mm-hmm. So depending on your privilege, use that privilege to amplify the voice of, of those um, that aren't being listened to, right? So if you can vote, vote for policies that are inclusive, right? Versus policies that are not inclusive. Um, if you're a student sitting in a class, give other people the opportunity to talk. Don't be the you know the person always raising your hands. Um, we do a lot of work at San Francisco State around uh, microaggressions and microaffirmations, mm. um, and we all have biases, right? So it's really reflecting on on the biases and reflecting on how does. You know, people be like, I'm not racist. The racism is a system when we always have to think about, like, how is racism playing out in our daily lives, right? Do you, do you, you know, vote for certain things that are racist? Do you say microaggressions? Do you make people feel less than? Um, and doing those things to um, have, a, have an impact um, at that level. And I think that that will, you know, multiply and, and ultimately... Um, lead to more health equity, right? And and I agree with what Dr. Hughes was saying that at the personal level, as Latinos, we can you know pursue higher education and maybe stay away from um, you know like dropping out and, and maladaptive behaviors. Um, but I'm also aware that there are systems in place, right? So like we'll get pulled over more, and we don't have access to these expensive lawyers, so we can't fight a case. Whereas like a white male, even though he did the crime, you know things like that. So um, so I would say if you can vote, vote. If you can't support people, don't contribute to gentrification and, you know, um, those kinds of things that think about what other people are going through. Don't be selfish um, and see what privilege do you have that you can support others. For sure. Well, uh, Dr. Hughes, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kathy. Thank awesome. you. Thank you for having us. Thank you to Kathy and Dr. Hughes for joining us in today's important discussion. To learn more about their work and San Francisco State University's Health Equity Research Lab or the Institute for Health Promotion Research, visit this episode's webpage at salute.to slash talks. For those who are experiencing higher levels of stress and anxiety during this crisis, please listen to our previous episodes covering these topics, mindfulness during an epidemic, and mental health in the global pandemic. Salute Talks is produced by Josh McCormick and the media team at Salute America. It is executive produced by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. The music heard on this podcast is produced by Bonus Points. Find Salute America online at salute-america.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social platforms at Salute America. Watch our award-winning videos on YouTube by visiting salute.to slash video. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed.